All right, how we doing? Morning. Good, good, good. If you um, have your Bibles, grab those. We're going to start out in the book of John, chapter 14, uh, with verse 15. Uh, I would encourage you this morning, if you have the app, to follow along on that. We're going to look at a bunch of different scriptures uh, throughout the morning. Um, and so just kind of help there. If you go to the worship portion of the app, um, then you can go to sermon notes, and it'll be dated uh, there. And you can just follow right along the outline of where we'll be this morning. Like I said, we've got a, a bunch of different places to go. And so really, kind of the same sermon over the last three weeks, right? As we talk about the Trinity, as we um, uh, look at, at who uh, God the Father is, who God the Son is. And so today for us, we're going to look at God the Holy Spirit. And so, um, uh, and so I just want to take a, just kind of a quick survey real quick. I kind of know my upbringing, where I'm from, uh, and just kind of how uh, I've heard it. And so I just, just want to ask the question and kind of just let's get it out there. Let's, let's talk about this for just a second and look at it, and then we'll continue on. Um, but, but who grew up maybe in church or around church? And, um, and when you talked about the Holy Spirit, it was, it was just the Spirit. Like, like okay, the Spirit, and we're, we're good. Okay, nobody. Uh, one. Okay, I see the hand. God bless. God bless. Okay, good. good. Okay, what about, okay, just the Holy Spirit. We just talked about the Holy Spirit. You're like, okay, the Holy Spirit, okay, we're familiar, okay, good. Now, now this, this is my favorite because this, this is my upbringing, this is where I'm from. How about the Holy Ghost? My people, yes, are in the house. We are right at home this morning. Um, well, I, and I just wanted to do that just to see because this morning, like I said, we're, we're going to talk about, whether you call him the Spirit, you call him the Holy Ghost, you call him the Holy Spirit, we're going to talk about the third person of the Trinity this morning, the third person of the Godhead, the, the Holy Spirit. And so... Um, I, I, don't, I don't know why it is, but it just seems like, especially in the Baptist church, and I'm not trying to, to knock us, but the Holy Spirit is really something that we don't talk about a whole lot, something that we don't really look, about, look at a whole lot or to kind of dive into or try to be uh, made aware of his moving and doing. Um, and so I've kind of joked like this, when, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're, we're, we're a little bit afraid, and it's one of those things almost like, um, uh, like when you go to your family reunion and you've got the crazy cousin that comes. And you've heard stories about the crazy cousin because mama's told you about the crazy cousin that's coming. And so they come and you're, you're kind of excited, but you're a little bit afraid. And, and there's a part of you just kind of hopes the crazy cousin does something crazy. But then there's also the hopes that maybe the crazy cousin wouldn't because you don't know how crazy the crazy cousin's going to be. And, and I almost kind of view like that's kind of how the church looks at the Holy Spirit. But is that right? I would say no. No, that, that we shouldn't view or we shouldn't look at the Holy Spirit that way or, or view him in that form or fashion because he is very much God, just as much as God the Father is, just as much as Jesus Christ is God. He is God as well. And so we believe not only in the Father's Son, but we also believe in the Spirit, that he is God as well. And so we believe that God is one God in three persons, three persons in one God. And so the Holy Spirit conform, confirms all the more that we're not deists. And that's something that I just always want to just beat out of us because we don't believe that our God created and then stepped back and had nothing to do with his creation. That he is not alive and active and well and moving amongst his people and amongst his creation. Oh, no, I believe the Holy Spirit confirms all the more that our God is very well active amongst us very well in the midst of us working and doing. And so we are not deists. We do not believe that God just created and stepped out, but that he is very, very active and at work in our world and in our lives. And so the unseen person of the Holy Spirit indwells, he prompts, he protects, he provides those who are found in Christ. And so we're going to dive in and we're going to look at him this morning. And I'm going to ask if you would join me as we pray and then we will jump in and see what God's got for us. Father, we pray that you move in this place. God, that you would make your presence known. Father, as we look at the third person of the Trinity this morning, the Holy Spirit, Father, 
we ask, God, that you would give him freedom to move about as you see fit. Father, that you would fill us with your spirit. Father, that you would convict hearts, God, through the Holy Spirit, God, that you would even start to, to woo or draw maybe that heart here this morning that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior. Father, by way of your spirit, God, we want to look at you. We want to know more. We want to grow. We want to worship like we've never worshiped before. And so, Father, we pray that you move in a mighty way. God, that you would fill this place with your spirit, with your presence. Jesus, do a work. We beg in your name. Amen. Amen. So the first thing I want to look at this morning is simply this, is that the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. So when we see in the scriptures this morning, we're going to see this personal pronoun such as a he or a him, which is used there to refer to the Holy Spirit instead of an it. The Holy Spirit is not an it, but it's a, a he. And so we see this in John chapter 14. Let's look at right there. John 14, starting in verse 15. He says, if you love me, this is Jesus speaking. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse 16, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. Who's this another helper that he's talking about? Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. So we see it there, this helper that he promises, this helper that he tells that he will give for those who love him, who uh, walk in his commands, keep his commands. He's going to ask the Father and the Father is going to give us a helper, the Holy Spirit. And this is what the Holy Spirit's going to do. He's going to be with you forever. Verse 17, even the Spirit of truth. So the Holy Spirit is just like Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The Holy Spirit is exactly like Jesus. He's truth to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. So the Holy Spirit is truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him, him there, Holy Spirit, nor knows him, him there, Holy Spirit. You know him. Who's him? Him is the Holy Spirit. For he, the Holy Spirit, dwells with you and will be in you. So as we look throughout the scriptures, as we see throughout the scriptures, the Holy Spirit is referred to by the masculine pronoun he or him. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is not a thing. The Holy Spirit is our holy God is who he is. And so he indwells, he will be with us is what Jesus says. And so what I think we need to do is this. I think we need to look at some of the attributes or of personality that is connected with the Holy Spirit. Some of the different attributes of personality that's connected with the Holy Spirit. And the first one that we're going to talk about is, this, is that of intellect. That of intellect. The Holy Spirit possesses the ability to know and understand reality. He can think. He can reason. Romans 8.28 teaches that the Holy Spirit has a mind. Uh, 1 Corinthians 2.11 teaches that he, he also knows the thoughts of God. So the Holy Spirit can think. The Holy Spirit can reason. The, the second thing that we're going to look at of attribute of personality with the Holy Spirit is that of emotions. That of emotions. So the Holy Spirit is able to experience emotions. Ephesians 4.30 teaches that the Holy Spirit can be grieved. That he can be grieved. The Holy Spirit dwells in us as believers. And he wants to express himself in the actions and our attitudes. And so we, when we don't allow the Spirit to do that, when we don't allow him to be seen in our actions, when we sin, when we suppress what the Holy Spirit presses upon us to do, what do we do? We quench the Spirit is what 1 Thessalonians 5.19 teaches. And so in those moments, what takes place is us not allowing the Spirit to reveal Himself the way that He wants to in us, through us, in our actions. And so this happens when we don't follow the promptings of our heart, when He presses upon us to have a conversation and we don't have a conversation. When He prompts upon us to, to speak the name of Jesus and we don't. When He prompts us upon us to, to do an action and we don't do that action. When He prompts upon us to get the heck out of Dodge whenever sin seems to be uh, uh, entangling us or starting to surround us and we don't do that, what do we do? We quench the Spirit. 
when we're not obedient to his leading, to his guiding. So God uses the Holy Spirit in our lives to direct us, to guide us, to move us in a way that reflects his nature, his character. And so, so we, he has emotions where we can grieve the Holy Spirit. The, the third thing that I want to talk about for just a moment of his attributes as a, as a person is simply this, is his will. See, the Holy Spirit possesses the ability to determine or act. In Acts 13, too, you have the Holy Spirit. He sets Barnabas and Paul apart for specific works. In 1 Corinthians 12, 11, the Holy Spirit empowers believers to, to give each believer as he sees fit the spiritual gifts that he wants them to have. And so the Holy Spirit moves and acts upon the lives of believers, and he, he empowers us. He gives us the gift that, that God has set out for us. That's what he does. That's who he is. And so some of the attributes of the Holy Spirit are the exact same thing that we've talked about over the last three weeks. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is God. So he possesses the exact same attributes as God or as Jesus. So he's omniscient. He's all-knowing. The Holy Spirit is all-knowing, Isaiah 40, 13 through, 30, 13 through 14 would teach us. He's omnipresent. He is everywhere at all times. Just like God the Father, just like Jesus is. He's omnipresent. He's eternal. There's been no beginning. There's been no end. He has always been. There's never been a moment in time when the Holy Spirit hasn't. He was there in the creative order. He was there when Jesus was born. He was there when Jesus was resurrected. He is eternal. Another attribute is that he is truth. He is truth. He is correct. He is right. He is integrity. He is all of those things. The same thing that we see in Jesus, the very same thing that we see in God. The Holy Spirit is the same. So the Holy Spirit of God, in verse 17 of 2 Corinthians, turn there, uh, chapter 3. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 17, turn there for just a moment. So Paul there in that verse, he's talking about those, those um, who do believe. Uh, but he leads up to verse 17. He uses this image of a veil as a, as a symbolism uh, to those who were a part of the old covenant who, who did not believe. And then look at what he says in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 17. He says this. He says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. He says that the Lord is Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So you have Yahweh of the Old Testament. You have God of the Old Testament is the same Lord that's saving people today. How? By the work of the Holy Spirit. Same God, Lord in the Spirit. He's working today. And so that freedom that he talks about here in this verse, because we like to quote, we just sung that. We just sung that, did we not? Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We see that here. Now the Lord is Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is that freedom. What is he talking about? See, the freedom that he's offering here is to the believer as a means to be free from sin. It, it doesn't mean that we get to do whatever we want to do. Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm a believer. Now I get to live however I want to live. I get to do whatever I want to live. Do. No, 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 no. What he is talking about where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is freedom from sin. I don't have to sin. I don't have to give in. I don't have to be entangled by. Oh, no, no. There is freedom that is found only in Christ. And, and I have the opportunity to walk in that freedom, to be obedient to his leading, to his guiding. I don't have to be entangled in sin. That's what he's talking about here. So all the other attempts, as it, as it pertains to this scripture, all the other attempts to keep the demands of the law as a means of righteousness is done away with. Why? Because Jesus fulfills the law. Christ fulfills the law and he goes on in verse 18 he says and we we all believers who are in Christ that's who he's talking about with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree one degree of glory to another 
For this comes from the, the Lord who is the Spirit. So what's the Holy Spirit doing? He is changing us and transforming us into the image of who? The beloved Son. He is shaping us and He is molding us. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, to lead us, to guide us, to, to shape us, to mold us, and that's what we see there. And so Paul equates here the Spirit of God doing that. Why? Because He is the third person of the Trinity. He is the Holy Spirit and He is a He. And so what is the work of the Holy Spirit? What does he do? We, we saw there that he, he allows us to live in freedom in Christ. But, but what does that mean? How do we get to that point? And so one of the most important works of the Holy Spirit is, is working salvation in non-believers. It, it, that's the work of the Holy Spirit, God's plan of salvation in non-believers. And so how does he do that? Pre-conversion. Pre-conversion, this is what it looks like. John 16, 8 says this. It says, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin. Who is the he? The he there is the Holy Spirit. When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin. So what does the Holy Spirit do? He convicts us of sin. When you sin, he convicts you. If you're lost and he's working on your heart and he's starting to draw and do a work in you to draw you to Christ, to the redemptive work of Christ on the cross, he's going to convict of sin. He says, and of righteousness and of judgment. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He convicts sin, righteousness. Are we found in Christ? Are we living a holy life? He will convict judgment. And so now Jesus is going to describe the work of the Holy Spirit just a little bit more in detail here. In verse 9, he says, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. So the Holy Spirit is going to work to convict the lost world of sin because they don't believe in him. Now, verse 10 says, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you'll see me no longer. So the Holy Spirit's going to direct us. He's going to guide us. He's going to convict us of righteousness. Are you living righteous? Are you living holy? Are you in right standing with God? The Holy Spirit is going to let us know that. He's going to help us be in tune with that reality. Why? Because Jesus isn't going to be here any longer. So we need a helper. We need someone to guide us and direct us. He goes on and says it's concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judge. So the Holy Spirit will cause lost man to see their great need for him. That's what he's going to do. He will reveal sin. He will draw lost man to the redemptive work of Jesus. So how does that happen? It happens in conversion. Turn to Titus 3.5. Titus 3.5. And this is just a beautiful, beautiful scripture that just breaks down a little bit what the Holy Spirit does, what he, what he does. Titus 3.5. In conversion, this is, this is what it says. It says, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness. I, I love that. It takes it all off of us. It, it takes every bit of this off of us. He saved us not because of works done by, by us in righteousness. So all of those good works, all those good things that we think we do, what, what he is saying is this, is, is that that doesn't save you. You can be as nice as you want to. You can uh, uh, try to be as helpful as you want to be. You can try to be as loving as you want to be. Uh, but it's your good works that does not save you. You see that repeated all throughout the scriptures, that, that you can't do it. You can't do it. I don't care how good you think you are. I don't care how great you think you are. But you are unable to save yourself. You, you are hopeless. Church, we've got to get our heart around that. I mean, we are nothing. We are not, and I don't care how hard you work. I don't care what your drive is or what your desires are. We are worthless apart from Christ. We are sinful and wicked and in need of a Savior. And what, tit what Titus reminds us of here is this, is not because of our works done in us by righteous, our righteousness, 
but according to his own mercy. Whose mercy? God's mercy. It's God that does the work. And so I don't know how awesome you think you are. I don't know how great you think you are. But, but I just want to lovingly tell you this morning that you're not. That on repeat throughout the scriptures, the whole point is to show us that we can't. The whole point is to show us how great a need we have for him. And what Titus reminds us here is not in our own righteousness, not works done by our righteousness, but according to his mercy. And then I love this little phrase here. It says, by the washing of regeneration. A big fancy theological word. And what re- regeneration just means is it's the work of the Holy Spirit whereby men and women are given God's life and God's nature and are made part of the family. It's the new birth that Jesus talks about. Look at it in John 3, 5. Hold, hold your place there in Titus. We're coming back. But John 3, 5, look at it there. Jesus is going to make a comment about this, about this new birth. He's going to talk about that. And he's going to say some things there about new birth. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit in regeneration, whereby he awakens us and he gives us this, this new birth, this new heart. John 3, 5 says this. Jesus answered, truly, truly. When he doubles up like that, it means we need to take notice. But what Jesus is about to say is very, very important. This is a big point that he's about to drive home to you. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless. So this is the requirement. Unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Born of the water and the spirit. You're not getting in. You you don't belong. You can't be there. So there's a problem. What what are we going to do about that? What what, what happens? Verse 6, he goes on in. He says this. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. So thinking about this work of righteousness and trying to do it on our own, what it says is this, is you can work all day long. But unless you've been born again, you're not a child of God. Well, how in the heck does that happen? It's the work of the Holy Spirit through regeneration. He makes us aware. He does a work in our life whereby he gives us a new heart. He, he gives us a new birth. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He awakens us to that reality. And look as he goes on in Titus, back over to Titus 3, 5, as we finish it up. He saved us not because of works done uh, by us in regeneration, but according to his own mercy by the, by the washing of regeneration. And he continues on Titus 3, 5 and says, and renewal of the Holy Spirit. And so this points to the fact that the Holy Spirit is the active agent in the working of regeneration in a person's life. The Holy Spirit is working and doing. That's what he says there. The renewal of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit awakens us to the reality of our lostness. So, so the, way that, the way that I like to tell it, the way that I like to say it. So for me, as an 11-year-old studying in vacation Bible school in that little old one-room church in West Virginia, I was there for the goldfish and the Kool-Aid. That was it. I wasn't looking for Jesus. I mean, I was looking for a good time. I mean, they sang some songs. They were weird. Okay, whatever. But I knew every week or every afternoon in the evening, they were going to feed us goldfish and cookies and Oreos. Man, who wouldn't go for that? L- little old West Virginia boy been running around playing out in the woods all day, and then I get to go have Oreos and Kool-Aid. Yes, I was drinking the Kool-Aid, and it was good. 
That's what I was there for, the Kool-Aid, the fun times. Some of my buddies were there. And all I know is for whatever reason, that afternoon on the last night, as the preacher gets up and begins to proclaim the reality of who Jesus Christ is, I was minding my own business, doing my own thing, and God has the audacity to interrupt me in that. Yeah, absolutely, praise God. And he does it by way of the Holy Spirit. As I'm sitting there doing my thing and I've won my prizes and I've sang the songs and I've done the stuff and I've got the t-shirt, God give me something far greater than any goldfish or Kool-Aid or t-shirt will ever accomplish in my life. He awakened me to the reality of my great need for him. And for whatever reason that day, he says, Scott, you need me. And for the first time in my life, I heard it. I mean, and I was, I mean, I wasn't a bad 11-year-old. Like, I was probably, like, top of the top, you know? I mean, I didn't say, like, the big bad cuss words, just, like, the small ones. And I hit my sister a little bit and disobeyed my parents some. I didn't hit my sister a lot because she'd hit back, and I knew better. You, you know what I'm like? I wasn't, even, I wasn't a bad kid. But the reality is this, is I was a lost kid that was headed to hell. And unless God steps in and intervenes, as good as I sang the songs at the top of my lungs and as nice as I was to Miss, Miss Sally who give us uh, the Kool-Aid and I said, thank you and yes, ma'am. I was raised right. That did nothing on the weight of eternity for me. God did not look at that and he would not show me not one ounce of favor, not one ounce of pardon because I was a nice, sweet little 11-year-old. No, in that moment when he awakens me to the reality of my great need for him, it's because the Holy Spirit steps in and he speaks to my heart. And, and the work of regeneration begins. Why? Because God is the active agent at work in that by way of the Holy Spirit. And he regenerates and he shows me my great need. And Scott's born again that day. Nothing that I did, but everything that God did. Nothing that this old boy did. I wasn't even looking for it. And he comes after and he rescues and he redeems. And so with that, there's something that happened that day. And I believe we need to talk about this for just a moment because it can be confusing a little bit. So it would appear that we're saying the same thing, but I don't believe the same thing's being said. And so what I want to do is I want to talk about baptism of the Holy Spirit in conjunction to being filled with the Holy Spirit. And I believe that those are two separate things that take place, two separate occurrences in the Scripture. One is a once and done, and the other is, a, is an ongoing fight that we beg God to move in and, and to pour out and to do. And so I just want to look at Acts 2 real fast, and then we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. Acts 2, 4 just says this. It says, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So, so something happens there as the first church is, is born. Uh, the, they, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And I believe that this filling of the Holy Spirit is baptism by the Holy Spirit. It's the act where Christ places believers into his body. And this happens at salvation. You, you are baptized by the Holy Spirit. You are born again and you are baptized into the family of God. By the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That's what that means. See, 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says it like this. It says, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. One spirit, the Holy Spirit, baptizes us into the body of Christ. Whereby he comes in and he indwells and he takes up residence. We'll look at that here shortly. And he lives within us and we are baptized into the body. And we were all made and we all were made to drink of one spirit. So what we believe is this, is that baptism of the Spirit is a one-time happening where we are made aware of our sinful condition and awakened to the reality of our great need for salvation. And it happens when we're saved. 
It happens when we're born again, when we come to faith. It's the Holy Spirit taking up residence. So what is being filled with the Holy Spirit? What does that mean? What does that look like? What happens? And so I believe that being filled with the Holy Spirit is us having great joy in God, which brings about power in that joy for overcoming sin. And it gives us a boldness that's outside of our normal character and nature and self. Where he fills us with his spirit over and over. We're indwelt by him and he lives in us. But do we allow him to move? Do we allow him to be? Do we allow him to do as he would see fit? And so being filled with the Holy Spirit is not a once and for all filling. No, no, no. We're baptized. We've got him in us. He lives in us. It's not, an, it's not a once and for all event. It's an ongoing, repeated occurrence that happens in a believer's life. God pours out the Holy Spirit upon us where we are emptied of us. And he does it at different times. If you look throughout the scriptures, you'll see times where, where in the book of Acts, Peter just steps up and it's like out of nowhere, the man is just, just on fire for God and he just begins to proclaim and preach. You see it at Pentecost and thousands are saved. You see it throughout the book, book of Acts as he just steps up and he begins to proclaim and he begins to tell. You see it in Stephen's life as he begins to proclaim the gospel and what happens? He's stoned. He loses his life as a result of it. I mean, I'm not running toward death. You know what I'm saying? No, no, no. That's not what this boy's going to do. No, I like life. I like me. I want to live. I want to preserve. But when the Holy Spirit's leading and guiding and directing, I have nothing to fear. No death. Who cares? Difficulty. Who cares? Well, I've got the Holy Spirit living and guiding and leading and filling me with his presence. And you see that happen over and over and over in the scriptures and, and in believers' lives where he pours out his spirit upon us. And when we are emptied of ourselves, when we have emptied ourselves. And he does it at different times. And so the ways that he brings us that fullness is varied. It's varied. It may come in an experience of an overwhelming feeling of joy. He may remind you and bring about that feeling of joy whereby in your heart worship. It may happen through a crisis of suffering. In su- I mean, how do you celebrate suffering? Because the Holy Spirit lives in me. And when my perspective is right and the Holy Spirit fills me with his presence and reminds me what suffering is, suffering is, is just, just an act whereby God brings me, draws me closer to, to, to Jesus where he shows me and reminds me of my great need for him. I mean, who celebrates, who celebrates his suffering? A man and woman who's filled with the Holy Spirit. When they come to the understanding and realization that it doesn't matter what I go through, that all God is doing is working out things for the betterment in my life to bring me joy and to press me towards him and to show me what he's like and to shape me and change me into his image. Another way that he may bring fullness in your life through being filled with the Holy Spirit is by abandoning yourself totally to God. It may come by the way of dying to, to self and to sin and the way that we do that is through repentance. When he shows us how horrific sin is in our life and he reminds us of that and we see that and we repent and we're broken over our sin the fact that we went against the heart of God that we've rebelled he may fill us with his spirit it, it may gradually come through a steady desire of God's word through prayer through fellowship through worship through service and, and so this is what it looks like for me in my life every morning when I wake up God fill me with your spirit Jesus please empty me of me I want more of you God God I need you today more than I did yesterday. And if I've got a meeting or if I've got something come on, coming up, I, I will pray like crazy. God, God, fill me. Fill me with your spirit. I, I don't know how well you know me, but um, like I'm like the goofy, fun-loving kind of guy. That, that's just that, my makeup. That's how God's created me. Um, and so, like, I am really, really good with comebacks. The problem is it's usually like two or three days later. 
dang it. And it's probably a reason for that. Um, probably because my comebacks aren't that good. But, but, but God gives me like, like that, that, that ability. It just happens later for me. And so like even in meetings and stuff like that, it, it takes me a little bit to process, to really think through, to kind of chew on things and to, to look on things. And so when I've got a meeting or I've got something that I've really got to get into and there's going to be a heavy discussion, weighty, weighty words, different things like that, I mean, I'm praying like crazy. God, God you've got to help me. God, please help me think clearly. God, fill me with your spirit. Why? So that I can reason better, so I can think through this better, so I'll have boldness. I'm not like a super bold kind of guy. I don't know why, but I feel like when I stand up here and proclaim, I'm, I'm hit. There's something between you and me, and it's God's word. And so I have no problem telling you what Jesus says, but it's like, like sometimes for me, it's, it's difficult to be bold. And so I just pray, God, God, fill me with boldness. Give me words of, of boldness uh, uh, mixed with love. And so I'm begging him all the time to just fill me, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Because what I've learned in my life is this, is that when Scott's left alone to do it himself, man, it is a mess. And that boldness doesn't come out as boldness coupled with love. It just comes out as a jerk. Scott's just a jerk. Scott can cut with words. Scott can act selfish and foolish. Scott can be a number of things that doesn't represent Jesus well, but when I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, when I'm submitted to what God's doing in my life and who he is, and I allow the Spirit to direct and to guide me and to lead me, man, that boldness is used in a whole new way, and God uses it mightily for his glory and for his honor. And so that's what I do. And you know what else I do? I also pray that God would fill this place too with his Holy Spirit, that he would fill you as believers. You need it. And the reason why I know that you need it is because I need it. I need him to guide me, to direct me, to lead me. So I beg of him, man, God, God, fill this place with your Holy Spirit. Fill the men and women in this church with your Holy Spirit. God, give us a boldness to take over our city. And I'm not meaning like this weird, like King of the Hill type thing. I'm talking about taking the gospel to the darkness. I'm thinking about like conversations at lunch. I'm talking about in your workplace. I'm talking about like an, an Acts type movement whereby the Holy Spirit falls so heavy upon believers' lives that we can't help but talk and tell about Jesus. That we can't help but tell our lost neighbor of the love that we found in Christ. That we can't help but invite people. But we can't, we can't help but to do whatever we've got to do to get him to Jesus. And hear me, that's outside the nature and character of us by ourselves. Because us left alone, we're selfish and we want nothing to do with God. But with the Holy Spirit in us, he gives us that boldness. He gives us that awareness. He shows us and he helps us. And so I beg of God, fill us, fill me. And so when we feel that experience, when we have that experience of being filled with the Holy Spirit, what I know is this, is that's only the beginning of a lifelong battle whereby we beg God to fill us with his Spirit. And so the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a once occurrence at salvation. We are at the moment of conversion sealed, which brings with it a promise of security for eternity. We are baptized into the family of God. And so what I want to do for a moment is this. I want to talk for just a second about the eternal security of the believer. I want to talk for just a moment about the eternal security of the believer. And I want to make sure that you hear me right what I'm saying. And I did say that right with intentionality. The we believe in the eternal security, once saved, always saved, the eternal security of the believer. I think the thing that happens so often is we forget that last part, of the believer. You're only saved once and forever if, in fact, you are truly born again. And I believe that's where the issue lies. That's where the issue occurs is, is that, is that we, we like this. Yeah, I get saved and I'm good and now I can go back and live my life, which all that does is prove and point to the reality that you've never been saved. 
You don't understand what salvation is. Man, if you've tasted and you've seen and you've been awakened to the reality of your great need for Christ, whereby the Holy Spirit directs you and leads you and moves you in the work of regeneration and salvation. And you can't go away from that. You can't go back on that. I don't know. And I'm not saying that we won't stumble along. We won't mess up. We won't struggle with sin because we fight the desires of the flesh every moment of every day. I'm not saying that we're, we're not going to struggle. We're going to struggle. But what I've come to learn and what I know is simply this is that God loves me far too much to leave me where he found me. And I've tasted and seen and all I know is this is I don't want what the world has to offer. Because what Christ offers, what God has for us, oh man, it's far greater, far, far greater than anything else that this world has to offer. And so I just want to talk for a moment because I believe this is important, the eternal security of a believer. And I know like the difficulty here is simply this, is, is because we're saying something that we can't really speak with any authority on. I mean, I, mean I, can't, I can't determine if one, I mean, I can't say with certainty that one person in this room is saved other than myself. I mean, I'm not the judge. I don't see the heart of man. I don't, I don't know the, uh, the commitment you made to step into faith uh, through the work of the cross of Christ. I don't know what that relationship looks like. I don't know if, if the belief that you expressed or say that you had is the belief that's, that's saving faith. I, I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, there's certain things that I could look at that the scripture points to that says, no, no, we need to look and see if there's fruit being produced. And we're going to talk about that here shortly. Is there fruit in their life? But, but I have no power None on my own to be like, yeah, you're in, you're in, yes, 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 uh, yeah. I have no power on my own to do that. None whatsoever. I'm not God, I don't see the heart of man. But what I can say is, that, man, I see, I see fruit and evidences in your life. I see fruit and evidences in your life. Man, it would appear to me that you know Jesus and that you love him by the way that you follow him, by the things that you say, by the things that you do. There's certain things produced in you that is outside of you. Because the natural heart of man does not lend itself to go that way. So I love what Ephesians 1.13 says. It says this. It says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. So you heard the gospel, and in that the Holy Spirit draws you, makes you aware of your lostness. God saves you. And in, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. So there is a believing in the gospel. The gospel is the good news of, of Christ. It's where Jesus lives a perfect sinless life, born of a virgin, perfect sinless life. He dies on the cross and becomes our sin. And he answers for us what we can never answer for ourselves. And so we believe in that, that he's dead, buried, three days later is resurrected, not resuscitated, but he is resurrected. He was dead and now he is alive. So the gospel of your salvation, you believed in him, Jesus, and you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. Sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. And so what happens is God's Spirit, it comes and he indwells the believer and he secures and he preserves our eternal salvation. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He, he seals us and sealed in the original language here. What it means is an official mark of identification placed on a letter or stamp. It's this thought of having a letter and what you do is you seal that letter with wax. And as you seal it, you put your insignia on that letter. And as you put your insignia on that letter, you mark it and you stamp it. And it's from you, it's yours. That's the picture that's being set here. And that's what we see in the book of Ephesians, which leads us to believe that, that, that God saves once and for all those who come to faith by the beloved gospel that he's proclaimed of his beloved son whom he's murdered for our sake. When we believe and we see ourselves in light of who God is, 
and the Holy Spirit draws us and, and woos us and, and God saves us. He saves us for all eternity. And, and then look at, look at how he finishes this. Ephesians 1, 14, he says, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. We're guaranteed an inheritance. Like this isn't it. Like you get that, right? This isn't your best life. This isn't, this isn't your heyday. This isn't um, all of that is cracked. This isn't the best you're going to get. You've got an inheritance coming, and that inheritance is found in Christ. It's found in, in God. It's found in eternity with Jesus. I mean, I mean, this is awful and boring if this is your best. I am so sorry because there's something far, far greater waiting on us in glory. And it's the presence of Christ for all eternity. And what, what Paul says here to the Ephesians is that we're guaranteed our inheritance until we acquire that possession. That possession is found with him in eternity to the praise of his glory. So, so how do you know you're saved? Well, I did a work. No, no, you don't save you. It's not a work that you've done. God's either done the work in your life or he hasn't done the work in your life. Either the Holy Spirit has awakened you to the reality of your great need for him or he hasn't. And when he has done that and you're saved, then what happens is you get sealed with the Holy Spirit living in you, actively working in and through and with you. So how do you know you're saved? You've got the Holy Spirit. He's living in you. He's changing you. He's shaping you. He's molding you. And so the thing that I say all the time that I press upon is this. I got saved at 11, but I look greatly different. I'm not talking about I can grow a little beard and I talk deeper and I have to wear deodorant. I'm talking about the fact of the matter that my heart is vastly different as a result of the work of the Holy Spirit and God saving me in my life. Not that I know bigger words, not that I can articulate better. No, it's, it's because Scott used to, not, used to be very, very selfish and now Scott's just a little bit less selfish. Scott used to be hateful, now Scott's a little more kinder. Scott used to, to love in a different way than he loves today, and it's because the Holy Spirit and God has worked on him and shaped him and molded him into the image of Christ, and as a result of that, he looks a little bit more like Jesus looks, and he acts a little bit more like Jesus looks, well, because the Holy Spirit's working in him, doing a work. So you know you're saved because you've got the, the promise of the Holy Spirit living in you, and so you do things that, that are contrary to your nature because you've gotten a new nature, you've gotten a new heart. And so what does the Holy Spirit do post-conversion? I'm going to kind of read through these quick as we, as we start to wrap up. Post-conversion, this is what the Holy Spirit does. And again, all this is on the app so you can see it. You can have it there for study later if you want to go by, by and, and look at it. But the Holy Spirit, he comforts us. He guides and he directs us. The Holy Spirit transforms us into the image of Christ. He empowers us in everyday Christian life. He gives you, gives you power to be able to, to do. He appoints leaders in the church is what the book of Acts teaches. He confirms God's word with miraculous gifts. He sanctifies our, uh, our imperfect uh, efforts. He knits us together as a fellowship. He fills us with praise. He gives us boldness in ministry. He gives us boldness for his great name. Uh, he communicates the Father's love to us. He infuses our Christian life with joy. In him we are sealed, kept, and secured by God till the very end. That's what he does. He keeps us and he secures us for those of us who come to faith in the redemptive work of Christ on the cross. And the way that that happens is because the Holy Spirit awakens our heart to that reality of our great need. So to close this morning, what I want to do is I want to look at two verses real fast. And I want to try to hammer this home. And I want to try to see actually who the Holy Spirit is and what he does in us and how this works. The first place is 1 Corinthians 6, 19. 619, and then we'll look for just a moment at Galatians 5.22, but Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 6.19 says this. He says, Or do you not know 
So there's something that Paul's trying to make the believers at Corinth aware of. He's trying to point out and show them. Or do you not know that your body, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? What Paul is saying is this, is that we are indwelt by the living God. Think about that for a moment, Christian. As a believer, you are a possessed person. The Holy Spirit lives in you. Your body is a temple. And all that simply means is this, is that's the place where God resides. Not this building, as nice and grand and as pretty and shiny as it is. He doesn't live in here. I mean, this isn't his home through the week. He doesn't hang out and catch up on the latest. No, 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 no. No, he lives in us. Our body, we are a temple of the Holy Spirit of God living in us. He is alive in us. We as Christians are the very place where God resides. Man, as I was looking at this and I was reading this this morning and kind of run, uh, going over it one more time and just praying that God would give me wisdom and praying that God would awaken your heart to this reality, as, as I was thinking and looking at this, it, it just hit me. Whenever you uh, uh, purchase a home and you move into it, what do you do? You make it your own, don't you? You maybe knock out a wall here. Maybe take down a door there. I need some new paint. So what are we going to do? We're going to clean it up. We're going to paint that thing because gray is in, right? Shiplap everywhere. Like, like we're just going to do that. We're going to make it our home, right? I mean, thank you, Joanna Gaines. Now we know what to do with our homes. But we'll do stuff like that. We'll hang a picture over here. Why? Because that picture uh, just really speaks to us or something that we like or the art of it or the meaning behind it or we were somewhere with Boothing and we just had to have it and so we get in and we hang it on the wall to remind us. And so what do we do? When we move in, we make it our own. So as I was reading this this morning, I was thinking about this and the reality of the, our bodies being a temple of the Holy Spirit, the very place where God resides in this world is in us. And I got to thinking, how often does he have to do that in us? I mean, Scott, that wall needs to go. Um, Scott, for some reason, the door to that closet is locked. And I've taken up residence now and I live in you and so... What that means is I get the keys to the house, Bo. There is not a room off, off for me. There is not a do not enter sign anywhere in that house. Why? Because I'm in you. I've purchased you. We're going to see that here in a second. And so what that means is this, is me being a believer, me coming to faith in Christ, when God awakens me to that reality and he saves me, he gets the keys to it all. And so there's a ton of walls that he needs to knock down. There's some closets he needs to get into and he needs to clean out. And there's a lot of paint that he needs to slap on those walls because this heart is nasty and ugly and God is working, working to sanctify me, to do a work in me whereby, whereby I look more like Jesus and less like Scott. And so he's going to take down some things and he's going to do some things and he's going to rearrange some things. And there's going to be times where I'm going to be like, no, God, I like the couch there. And he's like, I don't care where you like the couch. This is my house now. And that's what he says right here. He says, whom you have from God, the Holy Spirit from God, you are not your own for you uh, were bought with a price. That house, that temple, that body that he lives in has been purchased by the blood of his son. I have no say anymore where goes what in my life. What wall he can touch, 
What closet he's allowed to get into, the things I think about, the things I say, the way that I act or react, the things that I love and have to have and I want, I have no say because I've been bought with the price and he has moved in and he has taken up residence and I belong to God because he has purchased me. So he goes on and says, so glorify God in your body. That's what he calls me to do. That's what he tells me to do. And so that should be the natural progression of those who belong to Jesus because he lives in us. And he doesn't leave us where he found us. And though we may struggle in sin, he's going to convict us. He's going to come to us and he's going to let us know and confront us in our sin and convict. And he's going to draw us back to him. And so when you allow God to fill you and use you, look at what's produced. Galatians 5, as the band comes. Galatians 5, look at what's produced. So Paul contrasts the deeds of the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit. And this is what's produced in us by way of the Holy Spirit living in us. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. He says love is going to be produced in you as a result of him living in us, as a result of him growing and teaching and maturing us. And love here is just a commitment of all in. It's not based on what you get out of it, but it's, based, it's not based on what, what, what you can receive, but it's based on what you give, what you offer, what you can bring to the table. And all I know is simply this, is apart from Christ, the way that I would define love is what can you do for me? What do I get out of it? How can I benefit from it? But the fruit of the Spirit is different. Why? Because Jesus lives in us. And that love that he's talking about is that unconditional, perfect love that comes only from Christ. And you can't produce that apart from him. I don't care how good you think you are. You cannot love unless the Holy Spirit lives in you the way that Christ would call and want you to love. And then the next one for the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. And then he goes to that one, joy. Joy. Joy is this deep-seated contentment and satisfaction based upon eternal realities. It's just a fancy way of saying that there's nothing that can take away your joy because your joy is not connected to a thing here. And the way that I say it all the time is, baby, I love you, and I love those boys, but nowhere near as much as I love Jesus. And my joy is not in them or what they can do for me or the house that I live in or the car that I drive or the stuff that I wear or the money that's in my account. My joy is based upon the reality of what Christ has done for me. And you know what? You can take all that other stuff, but you can't take that from me. Because I've been sealed with the Holy Spirit and he lives in me. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and then peace. God, give us peace, right? In this chaotic, crazy world. I mean, we were just, uh, Tyler and I did this college thing uh, yesterday for the BCM, and, and we had this opportunity to like, talk to college students about discipleship and what that looks like. It was this weekend thing that we did, and as we're talking to the BCM director, she was just talking about how, how suicide is on the rise. And the millennials and in generation, is it Z, I guess, that we're in? I mean, how, how, how suicide is on the rise. And she was telling us of story after story of, of kids in the upstate as well as, as the lower part of the country who have committed suicide. Why? Because there's no peace. Why? Because their peace is based on something that's not true, that's not real. I mean, in this social media crazed world, we get the highlight reel of our life and we never show the 25 pictures it takes to get to that one perfect picture. And when we look at it, we think, my gosh, they've got it going on. All the while, what you don't see is because they've cropped it out is that the house is on fire. The kids has got the dog chained to something and is setting its tail on fire. I mean, you don't, you don't see all that stuff. You just see how lovey-dovey they are and how everything's perfect and great. But when you know Jesus and he takes up residence in you, the Holy Spirit produces this inner calm that results from a confidence in your saving relationship with Christ. 
And I'm not saying, I'm not saying you're not going to struggle with anxiety. You're not going to have, have hurts and hang-ups and you're not going to fear turmoil. But the election's really not going to affect you that much. Why? Because you know and you understand you've got peace and that peace doesn't come from who our president is, but that peace comes from who our Savior is and he's still on the throne. Give us whoever you want to give us. I don't give a rip. Republican, Democrat, somebody we don't even know. Because they are all controlled by the hand of God, period. And I've got peace that a government party can't take from me. You can try to chain up the doors. You can try to shut it up. You can try to do whatever you want to do. But man, God is living in me. And so as a result of that, there's going to be peace. He goes on to patience. Can I get an amen there for a second? Because that is definitely not something that's produced naturally in us, is it? I mean, that is not something you even want to pray for. Because you know how that works when you begin to pray for patience? It's not that, okay, I'm just going to give you patience. Patience. How about a red light? How about a crash here that's going to cause you to be three hours late to work? How about this big meeting that you've got? Oh, by the way, you've got this going on. Uh, the kids at home are sick and you need to be there too. Or, or how about this? You go to, just go to Walmart and God will teach you patience, right? Amen? Wow, one lane. I don't get it. I don't get it. And the dumb, scanny things never work right, do they? And you're like, okay, I'll beat this rush. I'll teach God patience. Watch this. I'll go to the scanny thing myself and I'll do it. And it, and it never fails, right? The red light starts flashing. I'm like, right, I, I'm just getting toothpaste. How is that not in your system? And then that girl's who knows where. What is that? God just working in us to teach us patience. It's the ability to endure. And in this context here, it's the ability to endure injuries inflicted by others. Uh, who wants that? That's contrary to who we are, is it not? That's not our nature. To endure injuries inflicted by others' willingness to accept irritation or painful situations. And then he goes on something else that the Holy Spirit produces in us that's contrary to us is kindness. That's just tender concern for others. I mean, we're a self-centered world, aren't we? We're a self-centered bunch of people. Kindness, tender concern for others. He says goodness is just this moral and spiritual excellence that's manifested in active kindness. It's that kindness made known. It's that the moral spiritual excellences that uh, uh, connect itself to Christ. He says faithfulness, faithfulness, help us there. That's loyalty and trustworthiness. I mean, I remember a day when you just told somebody something that was just as good as writing your name on a piece of paper. We don't live in that world anymore, do we? But us as believers, we should be like that. Faithful. He goes on and he says gentleness. Gentleness is just simply meekness. as a better translation there, which is just power under control. And then he says self-control is produced by the fruit of the Spirit, God living in us. This is what he put Self-control. And self-control just means restraining passions and other appetites. It's being able to say no and follow through with that no. It's not letting stuff rule and reign in you. He says, so as a result of being saved, being a believer, those things are going to be produced in your life, the fruit of the Spirit. And so my question for you this morning is this, have you been baptized by the Holy Spirit? And what I mean by that simply is, have you been saved? So you know what might be happening? The good gift of God this morning may be doing one of those works in you whereby he's drawing you to the reality of who Christ is and trying to show you yourself in light of who God is, making you aware of your great need of him. Maybe that's the Holy Spirit's wooing you and drawing you and showing you, oh, you need me. Maybe this is your VBS with the goldfish and the, the, the Kool-Aid. Sorry, we don't have Kool-Aid, we got coffee. And so maybe that's what this is this morning. God's showing you, man, I came for the, uh, the coffee's not that good anyways, never mind. Um, 
I don't know why you came this morning. But maybe in that, what God's going to do is he's going to save you. And this morning, he's going to show you of your great need for him. How, how does he do that? He does that by way of the Holy Spirit. So if you've been baptized by the Holy Spirit, have you been given a new life? And I'm just going to put my cards on the table because we're going to hit heavy on this next week as we're in this spiritual, spiritual habits and formation uh, series for the next few months or for the next couple months. I just struggle to believe that everybody sitting here this morning saved. I just struggle to believe that. And, and, and again, look, who am I to say who's saved or not? I'm nobody. The only person that I can speak for is myself. But man, when I look at Scripture and I see Scripture and I see these type of things that need to be being produced in us, that happens uh, in us, that belong to Jesus, that, that has him taking up residence and living in us, I just don't know if there's a whole lot of that in this church. And I say that all the while I say, I have to check myself over and over and over. We'll talk more in depth about that next week, but have you been saved? And if you are saved, my next question for you is this to close. Have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? And if you haven't, my question would be, why not? Is there sin blocking that? Is there self blocking that? Is it one of those things whereby God says, man, I, there's some stuff in your life that we, we need to talk. That house I was telling you about there in, in Corinthians that I've taken up residence in, man, we, we need to talk about this temple thing because I own it and I am sick and tired of that wall being there. I am sick and tired of you holding onto the keys of that closet that you know is junk ridden and of no good and you need to clean it out because it's called sin and it's time we do something with it. So if you belong to Christ, maybe that's why you haven't been filled. I don't know. But the work of the Holy Spirit is to convict you of that and then what you do, conviction is a good gift of God whereby he points out our reality of our sin and our need for him and we run to him as a good, good father and we fall on our face before the cross and we beg him to break our heart over our sin and turn us in a completely different direction toward him all the more. So maybe for you that's the case this morning that God by way of the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, you need me as your savior. Or maybe this morning he's saying, hey, you need me to forgive your sin and you need to get your telling gear and let's get on with what I've got for you because I want to fill you with my presence and give you something that you can't do on your own. But until you realize and you come to me and you let me work you over and you let me change some things in you, you're not going to get it. So I don't know what God's spoken to your heart this morning, but what I know is this, is he wants to fill you and he wants to do a work in you. Father, help us this morning. Hear your voice. Follow after you. God, save the lost in this room. God, encourage the believer by way of conviction and draw them to repentance. Lord, we need you. We need you. We need you. It's your name we pray. Amen. You stand. Eric's going to lead us this morning. You respond as God leads.